Thank you, Leslie and Paul. And good to see all of you here this afternoon. I'm sorry. <laughs> I caught myself, though. I caught myself. It's a, it's, it's, I was going to say it's a bad habit. No, it's just a habit. It's just a habit. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. <laughs> Let's take our Bibles. I said it again. This morning, Mark chapter 10, as we continue on in Jesus' disciple seminars, if you will. And this one was actually, what should we say, it was brought about from uh, the outside, an opportunity to teach. And this came from the Pharisees. Uh, but let's go to Mark chapter 10 and let's uh, begin reading in verse 1. We'll read through verse 12. Mark chapter 10. And he arose from thence and cometh into the coasts of Judea by the farther side of Jordan, and the people resort unto him again, and as he was wont, he taught them again. The Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote this precept. But from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh, so when they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman put away her husband and shall be married to another, she committeth adultery. May God add a special blessing reading of His Word, and let us just pause for prayer to begin our study together. Father God, we come into Your presence and enjoying Yours with us. And Father, we're here to worship, to praise, to uplift Your name. We thank You for today, a day that we can commemorate and to celebrate mothers. Thank You, Father, for making marriage and for mothers who they are. Father, today as we look at this passage of Scripture, we would ask that You would give us insight, that You would give us inspiration, that the Holy Spirit would take us where you want us to be. Father, we would be open to be changed, to be made better as we glorify you. And Father, we ask for your special attention that the Spirit would solely be our teacher today. We thank you for those that are here today. We would ask specifically for them and their lives, their families, that you would give them direction, that you'd help them in their journey along life's way, giving them strength and encouragement that comes from you yourself. Father, now, Guide our thoughts. May your words be ever resonant within our hearts. Father, if anything said that is not beneficial, is not from you, that it would quickly evaporate from our minds. Now we go to you. Go to the Word. Go to the Scriptures. Asking the Spirit to guide us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if, uh, we've been uh, several weeks now kind of going through Jesus' transfer, if you will, or change in the ministry. He was... Uh, the first couple of years of, of his ministry, he was engaged in the Galilean ministry, at least, uh, for, for a period of time. Maybe it's not even fully two years, but it was a, a significant period of time. I'm going to, Laramie, maybe put that map up on the board, because we, we continue to see him moving towards Jerusalem now as we get closer to the end of his, of, of his life, shall we say. And I've lost my pointer once again. Um, okay. Use your imagination then. 
What we're going to be looking at today, I'll try to just point my finger, is it said it was beyond Jordan. If you look right up here, uh, across on the east side of the Jordan River is a place called Perea, P-E-R-E-A, if you have your maps at home, wherever you're looking at. And that's where he, we find him today. In the Mark chapter 10, uh, for one chapter, he, Mark dials into this area. Uh, Perea was a place that Jesus was on his way. In fact, uh, we'll find him to be moving from... In fact, take your Bibles for a moment. In chapter 10 of Mark, you're still there. Turn to verse... Uh, I'm not sure which verse it is, actually. Da, 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 da. Verse 46... Oh, there we go. Uh, verse 33 of Mark chapter 10. Uh, this, is, this is a little further along. It says, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. That's where they're headed. They were on their way. Verse 32, it says, We're on their way going up to Jerusalem. Verse 46, it says they came to Jericho. So ultimately, you'll see that they would have started um, just on the east side of the Jordan River and coming down all the way to Jericho and then actually uh, would, would head over to Jerusalem from there. Now, it's interesting. If you notice on the west side of the river is a land called Samaria. That was, uh, that was very much almost people would, would stay away from Samaria. They were actually intermarried with uh, uh, Gentiles, and they were seen as half-breeds, if you will, very undesirable as Samaritans from a Jewish standpoint. In fact, those that would have come out of Galilee, which again, you see that north of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus spent a lot of his life, uh, uh, the work of the, of the ministry in Galilee, and they actually would have come on the east side of the Jordan to go to Jerusalem. And I'm saying they as being Jews from Galilee. Why was that? Well, they didn't want to go through Samaria. Why would they be going through Jerusalem right now? Everybody's headed to Jerusalem for the Passover. This is upcoming. Jesus is, is going to be the Passover lamb. He's taking this direction. Now, the, the interesting part is, is this whole, the context is super important of this questioning being asked. These Pharisees took this opportunity to be here to ask this question. I mean, again, Jesus is using it. There's crowds around. Um, and, and Mark takes and specifically looks at how does he detail, how does he decipher, how does he dictate to the disciples in the upcoming days that they're going to need to know a lot more about who Jesus really was and what his life was all about. But this day, this controversy or this confrontation came at the hands of the Pharisees in the land of Perea. Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem. Got that, right? We've looked at that. We know also that there would have been, if, if you will, kind of a, a migration to Jerusalem for Passover from the Galileans. They would have been coming on the Perean side. So there's a lot of people. Jesus, again, used opportunities to heal, to teach, to guide, to minister. That's who he is. That's his passion. And, and you know, his passion was unleashed because of his compassion. That's, that's who Jesus was. So why would the Pharisees come to this place and raise this question? It was well thought out. They had an agenda. They were trying to do two things. One was to discredit Jesus in front of the popular, you know, the popularity that he had, and then secondarily to destroy him. So why would they ask this question here? I mean, what's the point? By the way, this isn't the first time that Jesus would have talked about marriage or divorce. In fact, let's take a look quickly back to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Hold your place in Mark. We'll be right back. In, in, well, maybe we'll be. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, go to like, oh, let's say, like, I think verse 31, 32, somewhere in there. Um, actually, no, even verse 27. Uh, the, it's not like new information to these Pharisees. They had heard him before. He had been speaking uh, from his perspective what he saw in marriage and 
and divorce. Verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5. Now this, this would have blown your mind. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Yep. And I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If thy, and if thy pluck I'm sorry, and if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that whole body should be cast into hell. Remember, that's almost like last week's. Remember what we talked about last week, okay? And then thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it into thee. It would be profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body would be cast into hell. Verse 31, it hath been said that whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. This is really where they're at back in Mark chapter 10. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Okay? They've heard this before. I mean, they know what Jesus is going to say, but they want him to say it to a lot of people. Let me just set this up for a moment. Uh, divorce in our land today, I was just looking up some t statistics this morning, or actually, yeah, it is this morning. I was going to say this afternoon again. <laughs> all messed up. But this morning, um, literally, are you ready? How many would you say, we can erase notes from last week, um, how many divorces, approximately, I, I don't have the exact number, but uh, the annual amount of divorces in the United States over the last number of years, how many would you say? A lot, right? You might want to take a guess. 30%? 50 percent. Numbers. This would be numbers. Numbers. Yep. This is how many divorces per year? You guys are on the percentage mark, which it's amazing. It's pretty close. Probably a million. Okay, a million. And do you think that's high or is it low? Did you look it up? I did. I did, yeah. I know. <laughs> so you don't. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I'm waiting for you to give me the answer, right? Okay. Uh, Terry said a million. I think that's high or low? That's a lot, isn't it? I mean, that's every single year. Well, you are really a pessimist today, aren't you, girl? It's, it's 750,000. But now that, that's a million and a half people that have directly been affected by all of the children. It's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? it? When you think about it that way, it's amazing. So I'm, I'm just going to jot that number down. 750,000 per year. USA. What does God think about divorce? What does the Bible say? He actually uses the word, he hates divorce. Malachi chapter 2. You might write those, you know, I think we're going to come back to that, but Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 to 16, that's the last book in the Old Testament. Nehemiah would be a book that would, you know, and they're not sequential because Nehemiah is a historical book and, and uh, Malachi is a prophetic book. But really, by time frame, Nehemiah would be the last book of the Old Testament. And if you, if you go through the book of Nehemiah, actually, Malachi is talking about them coming back from Babylon. They'd been in captivity for 70 years. And why were, this is important too, why did they go to Babylon? What happened to the Israelites that they were literally taken to bondage in Babylon? What, what was it? Why did God do that? They turned away from them. And, and actually, they had, the 70 years is significant in the sense of time frame because they had rejected the fact of him, them leaving the Sabbath year. For all of those 490 years, <clears throat> they served that time. But the reason they were there was for idolatry. Not adultery, 
which to Jesus or to, to God in the spiritual sense, spiritual adultery is because they were idol worshipers. Idolatry, now we're going to get into this as we go on. That is, that is the thing. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind. Thou shalt worship no other gods. And idolatry is what? Anything that takes the place of God. So think of that now. Idolatry is, that's still first and foremost. In fact, I'm just going to say this. We'll come back. I don't know. My notes are going to mean nothing today. I can tell. Deep, deep, deep into this. But literally, if you, if you go to the book of Jeremiah chapter 3, we'll go. Don't, don't worry about it. Literally, do you know because of the spiritual adultery, that spiritual adultery, that Israel engaged in with the rest of the gods around the Canaanites and all of that, he gave them, the Israelites, his people, his bride, he gave them a writ of divorce. Why? Because they were, sexual, because they were spiritually adulterous, which means they were idol worshipers. Do you see how that just it fits together? That's the Old Testament model. Adultery is the only reason for divorce. God actually gave a divorce paper to the Israelites. I don't know if you've... That's, that's pretty heavy. That's really pretty, But I'm getting way out in front of myself. That's never happened before, right? Yeah. So where did I have you? Where were we at just now? Oh, Matthew chapter 5, right? This is not... Let's, let's come back. Let's get our context. Got to get context. Context, context. Okay, so here we have the Pharisees, and they're going to try to trick Jesus. It says it right there. They're going to tempt him. They're going to try to trap him. And they're in the land of Perea. And they want to take or discredit him with the people. Now, let's talk about divorce. This is in the United States. That's how I got there, 750,000 per year. I don't know how many divorces there were in the land of Israel, but it was a lot. Even though in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, it says, God hates divorce. That's the words that are used. God hates divorce. 400 years took place from Malachi to Mark 10. 400 years. And you know those rabbis, the Jewish religious leaders, were rabid, R-A-B-I-D, rabid for divorce. You could divorce a woman for any reason, literally any reason. If she burned your food, said a bad comment about your mother-in-law, if she actually, are you ready for this? She was actually twirling and her dress came up and they saw her ankles. <coughs> you could divorce her for that. So what does that tell us? They could do, they, they wanted any excuse, any reason to get rid of her. You can get another one. Hmm. What do we call that in the United States? A no-fault divorce. No reason. Any reason will work. Any reason will do. Huh, that sounds kind of normal, doesn't it? Well, what I'm saying is, this is 2022. That's 80-30. The same stuff is going on. The same stuff is going on. In fact, the rabbis are literally pushing this. There's a guy by the name of Rabbi Halil. And his thing was, you can divorce, just unload her. If you need to get rid of her, it could be like a leprosy. You get, get rid of a bad woman and you'll, you'll be cured. Are you, you're almost, you can't, I can't even believe this. I thought it was just, no. Divorce has been around a long time. So what we want to do now is we want to do this. It doesn't matter what society says. This, did you notice the question that the, that the Pharisees asked Jesus? What do you say? about divorce. Jesus, we're going to put you on the spot. His response is perfect. I'll just say it because I want to move off it. I'm going to get back. But literally he said, 
What did Moses tell you? In other words, what does the Bible say? That's what we want to get here at today. It's not, doesn't matter what society says. Doesn't matter what laws society. Doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. Doesn't matter what legislatures say. Doesn't matter what your neighbor says. Doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what I say. It matters what does God say. That's all that matters. Correct? That's a good place to start. Okay, so back to the Pharisees. What would be the best way to get Jesus in trouble than for him to stand in front of a whole lot of people that are already being coached? You got a bad woman, you get rid of her. You go get another one. That's, that sounds like a good way to get Jesus kicked off the popularity street. And they did, and that set him up. Get, what do you, Jesus, what do you say about divorce? Uh, huh, well, but there's another level. This one here you probably haven't, haven't thought about. That little place called Perea, there's a man there that rules that place. He's from the Herod line. His name is Herod Antipas. He's the ruler or the governor of Perea. This is, this is no small matter for them, to, the Pharisees, to raise this up. Let's go back in our Bibles now. I want to go to Mark chapter 6. The place of them saying this has been well thought out. Let's go to Mark chapter 6, and let's go to verse 17. Mark 6, 17. This Herod that's spoken of here is the ruler of Perea, where Jesus is speaking to the crowds. It says in verse 17 of Mark chapter 6, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John. John who? John the Baptist. Okay? And watch. And bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod, and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatever you will, and I will give it to you. And he swore unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it to thee unto the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And it goes on to say that, that literally that execution was taking place. Now, why was John the Baptist executed? Because he said, You cannot divorce, I'm sorry, your brother Philip's wife, you cannot marry. Did you even see how that was recorded? It does not say his wife, Herodias. It said his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. That's how God saw that marriage. She was never, she was never Herod's wife. Isn't that interesting? The, the wording is there for a reason. And John the Baptist, I'm sure, under probably similar questioning. Who knows? I don't know. But he said, you cannot have your brother Philip's wife. Period. Herodias, of course, took that personal in his head. Why? Do you think it's any small matter that that question was asked in the very place that Herod had taken John the Baptist's head off for Jesus Christ? It's spot on, people. It's perfect timing. If we could get this guy not only, shall we say, derided by the crowd, but to be destroyed, he'd be out of our hair. And Herod's done it once. He could do it again. <laughs> Isn't that something? Wow. 
That's how the question came. But Jesus, not being one to run away from a confrontation, he could have said, hey, wait a minute, guys. I'll get with you in private. I want to talk to the people. I want to finish speaking and teaching to the people here. But he doesn't. He's not like that. Now, this would, so far the Pharisees, I haven't kept track, but they're probably like, oh, for 100. They come to Jesus. They're going to whip him. They're going to tempt him. They're going to test him. And every time they just go, oh, boy, you got us again. Oof, wow. How did we do that? I can't believe it. So they're really prepared this time. And you got to give them credit. At least they come, right? They're really, their game is on. And Jesus sets it right back, just as we should be asking ourselves today. This is, what, this is what our society, it says, what do you think about divorce? Or what does the Supreme Court say about divorce? What does the president say about divorce? What does, do you see what I'm saying? That doesn't matter. None of that matters. It does not matter at all. And Jesus says, it's perfect. He said, well, what did Moses say? In other words, what does the Bible say? A great place to start, right? It's a great place to start. And sure enough, that's where he goes. Again, it's amazing how time has just morphed this people. Maybe, maybe I think it would do well for us just to get the, the, the context 400 years earlier. Now, 400 years is a long time. This country was founded in 1776, and here we are in the year 2022. That's a long time, but it's not 400 years, right? And none of us were here when it began. But just think of how time will change people. It takes you back. Back to what? Well, left alone, back to sin at a high level. And that's exactly. And God wants us to go back to the very beginning. But let's go. I, I just think we should probably do this. Let's go to Malachi, first of all, chapter 2. And let's look at verses 13 through 16. This is, this is Malachi giving, if you will, God's perspective on all of these, and we could even step back into verse 10. The whole chapter, chapter 2, is one you should probably read. It speaks of the unfaithfulness of Israel to God. And they had spiritual mixed marriage. We're going to look at that in Nehemiah. I want you to see how terrible this was at the time. But let's just look at verse 13 through 16 right now. Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. And this have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore, or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. In other words, they're offering, and they're, they're they, Lord, you're not even receiving our stuff. And yet you say, wherefore, verse 14, because the Lord hath been witness between you and the wife of thy youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant? And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the spirit? And wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit. In other words, guard your heart. And let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hath hateth putting away. You know, he hates divorce. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit. Guard your heart that you deal not treacherously. That, that's being mentioned in Malachi. And let's go to, let's see the, the, the reality of this. Back to Nehemiah. Find that little book, Nehemiah. See if you can find Nehemiah for a moment. Nehemiah, chapter 13. Nehemiah, chapter 13. What they've done, and as you're turning there, now let's just get the timing of this. So they've left Babylon probably about 536 B.C., and, and there were several different movements of that migrating back to Israel. But they came back to the land, and over the course of 20 years, they would have rebuilt Jerusalem and the temple. Now, it was not the Solomonic temple to its grandeur and splendor and majesty, but it was still a temple, and Jerusalem was still there. It was kind of like getting back to your roots, if you will, okay? And then 100 years after that, and it was like, oh, religion was just a ritual. 
We just do what we want to do, however we want to do it, whenever we want to do it, how we want to do it. Okay? So what they'd done, literally, is had divorced their wives, their Jewish wives, and had married Gentile, idolatrous women. Let's just start in, uh, in chapter 13, again, for your own reading. Where should I start? Let's start in verse 23. This is toward the end of this chapter. This would be absolutely spot on the time frame of which Malachi had just said, God hates divorce. In those days, verse 23, Nehemiah chapter 13, in those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. Verse 23, Nehemiah chapter 13. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' languages, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked out their hair. Oh, now that's pastoral support, right? Whoa. <laughs> and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take your daughters unto their sons, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God and marrying strange wives? And he goes on. That's what had taken place. They were literally, they, 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 what was going to happen here is the very thing he had urged them not to intermarry into these Gentile, godless, pagan nations because they would take their hearts, Israel, and take them away from God. Did it work? Absolutely. Solomon, that's the, that's the smartest fool that ever walked this earth. Sounds weird, doesn't it? But it was. He knew what was right, but he chose not to obey the one thing that really literally took his heart away. And in, uh, what, what's that proverb? Is it Proverbs 6, 23? Remember the one, guard your heart for out of it come the issues of life? That same word that we found that we just read in Malachi, it's the same thing. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. That's taken place 400 years before today. Nehemiah took some pretty strong measures. Now, 400 years later, it's probably worse than it was. I don't even see anything wrong with it. Do whatever you want to do. Now, it was, I, want to, I want to be careful now that it seems as such in this culture, in this society, that in Israel on this day, the men were much more likely to divorce their wife than the wife to divorce her husband, just because of the way the hierarchy was within. A, a, a woman did not have as much, I don't even know if I want to use the word power, but it was the sense of, it was different. There was, the, the, particularly in the Jewish religious leaders, they had, they had more, more power, more over-the-top kind of anarchy than anyone else, and they were the ones that were actually promoting this lifestyle. I mean, think of it. You come home one night, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I was hoping better, but you burned the spaghetti, so you're, you're out of here. I want, I want to get another wife. I, this, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but that's exactly what they were doing. So be careful. No. <laughs> now, there's, been, there's two ways that, that this particular divorce has been handled, shall we say. Uh, there seems to be two courses, one of which you open the door for any allowable thing for anybody and they just make it all feel good and God's grace covers it all. Okay? That's kind of the liberal approach. You just, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll work out. Then you have what we would call the hardliners and there's really no divorce for anybody because divorce, and by the way, I mean this number up here, the 750,000 year, per year, you think of the families and the kids and grandkids and all of those that are affected, it's, it's monstrous. I mean, it, if, if you're just stepping back and you watch a culture, forget, forget, see, and everybody's tied into it. 
right, today. We're all tied into it because it's been happening for so long that that's part of it. But if you can take a step back, you have to say, literally, just like God, I hate divorce. It does not work. It does not good for the kids. It's not good for anyone, right? That's what we hate about it. But here we are. That's a huge, that's a big deal. That's every year. That's every year. So there's some that say, hey, because of that, if we just eliminate a divorce for any reason ever and ever and ever, no matter what, then we could solve this problem. That's not what the Bible says. And the Bible gives one, one exception, and that is adultery for divorce. Now, they take it differently. Let's start to slip back into the Pharisees' shoes because now we can't even get there. We want to look at God's perspective first. So Jesus says what? Let's go back to Mark. On your way back, turn to Matthew chapter 19. That's actually the passage of Scripture that fits Mark chapter 10. Matthew chapter 19 on your way back from Malachi. Okay? Matthew chapter 19. Let's just read this because he adds a, a section that Mark does not. In fact, in, Mark in the last two, two verses talks about the fact that he just says, if a husband divorces his wife, he causes her to, to be adulterous and vice versa. But chapter 19 of Matthew adds another dimension. Verse 1, it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Ge beyond Jordan, just like we just talked about. Great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Is it okay? It's good, isn't it? He answered and said, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male? Now stop for a moment. There was a monstrous amount of sarcasm built into that. The Pharisees, tell me who they are. The Pharisees describe, who are these people? They make cars down at the local car shop? No, no. They don't mechanic. They don't run to that. What do they do? What, what is their job? Teach the law. Teach the law. They study the word. They're literally there. They're deciphering and interpreting the Bible, if you will, for the common people. And Jesus responds to them and says, uh, uh, did you not read that part in the beginning? Did you, did you not see that where God made the male and female? And did, did you miss that part? I mean, it's pretty loud. Because now if you said it to the mechanic that's down at the, you know, some, some car shop somewhere. And did you, you know, by the, no, I've never seen that before. To say that to them was like poking them in the eye saying, you guys missed that part? <laughs> but he gets right after it. That he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, for, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they two, the twain, shall be one flesh. Wherefore there are no more two, but one. Whatever God, what therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Okay? So he's starting up from God's perspective. They've said that any reason at all, even as much as, you, you name it, you could do it. So he goes back to the beginning, and he starts in Genesis. So that's where we need to go. We're going to find four reasons that God hates divorce. He said in Malachi, at the end of the Old Testament, he hates divorce. Let's go to Genesis and see it all started. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis 1, verse 27. Uh, and the really good part of all of this is, is this is the way God designed it. This is the way he planned it. This is the way he made it. He created it just like he wanted it to be. So he's asking them, have you not read this part? Verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Well, that's pretty straight. Uh, no spare parts going on here. Adam, I'm so sorry. I, I thought he would be way more than... I, I, I messed up. So here's Jill. And, oh, Eve, I thought Adam would be a... I, I, missed, I missed him. So here's Sam. No, there's no spare parts. This is one man, one woman. Not two men, not two women, not three men, two women, not one man, one... Do you see it? That's really clear, isn't it? Reason that God hates divorce? He created one man and one woman. No provision for polygamy. Uh, by, the way, uh, by the way, no alternatives. Right? Huh. I wonder what God's really thinking here, Eve says. I'm sorry, what Adam says. I guess one and done, right? That's it. It's pretty clear. I, I mean, this is what God designed. This is how he made it. One woman, one man. Is, is, that, is that hard to comprehend? We're having trouble with that in America today. We can't get that. We, we can't get it, can we? It doesn't work. We can't even figure out which bathroom to go in right now. What, what's happened? Uh, we need to start back at the beginning. Isn't, isn't that kind of when we really get messed up? And you, if you ever just, the more you do, the more you dig, the more you, stop shoveling. Stop for a moment. Just go back and start over. Rethink. Get it right. That's what Jesus is saying to these guys. If you miss, let's, let's go back to the beginning. It was one man and one woman, period. That was the way God did it. There's no extras. There's no spares. There's no, it's just, that's the deal. That's the way he made it. That's why God hates divorce, because he made it that way. One man, one woman. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Now, he, it was really good. Uh, God is making this stuff, and he's creating, and... And uh, there was one thing that bugged God, though. Now, we've already jumped ahead of it a little bit because that's the way chapter 1 is. It kind of summarizes, and you come back. And then it shows through this, and, and Adam's naming things, and, you know, God is saying, you know, all of this is good, this is good, this is good. But there's something that wasn't good. You remember what that good wasn't? He was alone. And he names all of these animals that walk by him. And he, there, was, there was not a fit companion for him. And God said, that's not good. So then out of man comes woman. And then what did he say? It was very good. It was very good. It was very good. Made him in verse 24 again. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. First reason God hates divorce is because it is by his design one man and one woman. The secondary is the strength of that union. It's to leave his father and mother, uh, just as Cain, when he would have left his father and mother. His, he was to, it was a new relationship. He was to leave them, and the word in the King James is cleave. But I, I, the word that I even like better is glue. I mean, to be glued to your wife. The strength in that unison is amazing. That's the way God designed it. As you leave the relationship of your, of your father and mother, you literally are joined cleaved, glued together. It's the second reason that God hates divorce is when, they, when that bond is tempted to be broken, to cling to your wife. No trial runs, and then it's pursuing hard after. 
I mean, you're pursuing hard after the interests of the other person. And in Ephesians chapter 5, we'll probably, or in chapter 4, we'll probably talk about looking, uh, we'll look at that later on in this series. But everything that's there that is lined up by Paul to protect, to guide, to stimulate, to fulfill, to blossom a marriage is what's missing when divorce is in place. And think of it, this all became, when Adam and Eve sinned, guess what happened? Self, two selves, became married. <laughs> and ever since then, there's been selves married. And it's hard, isn't it? Well, it's even part of the curse, but let's keep going. So the first reason was one man, one woman. God did it that way. Didn't make a whole bunch. And then said, why don't you guys figure that out? You know, he could have started that way. Let's be honest. And sometimes the obvious, sometimes we miss that. He said, you know what? I'm going to get them started. I'm going to put 20,000 people. We'll just go with 10,000 of each, and we'll just let them work it out. I think we got off to a really bad start. <laughs> so he says, let's, make, let's, let's line it out. Let's get, them, let's get them right on board with the pattern just right out of the box. That's what Jesus is getting at. Did you guys not see that at the beginning? God didn't make a bunch. He made two. One man, one woman. That's why I don't like divorce, because I made it that way. And then they became one union. Glued together. Don't you like that? I like that. Glued together. You know, like some of that super glue when it first came out? And, and you know, you put it between your fingers. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong here. Let's put it in water. Nothing. Remember? You remember did you guys do that? Or you didn't do Oh, yeah. And, huh. This is not going to work out, right? That's how marriage should be. It's going to work out because we're glued together. <laughs> I don't think they have super glue in No, they didn't. That's right. That's a, just think how good we should be, right? We should be good. In fact, I, this is actually fun. It just popped in my head now. The next time I do some marriage counseling and we're going to, here's your super glue. <laughs> Maybe I'll use it on the rings, right? Have the rings have a ceremony. Just a second. Here, let me put some. You ain't going to get that one off. But that's literally, see, behind it, we're laughing about it. You know what? That's exactly how God saw that marriage between Adam and Eve. To never be put asunder, to never be broken, to never have that even. No, you see what I'm saying? That's what he meant. There's a third. There's a third. In verse 8, let's go back. Uh, hold your place in Genesis. We haven't been following our text. Hold one finger in Genesis. Let's go back to, to Mark chapter 10. Mark. Because he lines this out with these guys, with these Pharisees, as he's unfolding for them what really was at the beginning. Uh, verse 6, we've already talked about it. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. We talked about that one. Verse 7, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. He needs to be glued to his wife. And then verse 8, and they twain, the two, shall be one flesh. So then they are no more two, but one flesh. Now, the, I mean, the absolute perfect combination of that is when you have a child. That is, that is one that comes out of two. And that one is an indivisible number. You can't divide one. Right? If you do, you've splintered it. Again, you've, you've destroyed it. You've destroyed the, the essence of the oneness that two come together that God created that way. I mean, these, these seem like really simple concepts, but they're really key component to us understanding really all about marriage. The one flesh, indivisible, insoluble. But then there's even one more that's probably even over the top of all of that. The fourth reason is let, I went back to Genesis. Let's go back to Mark. You guys are probably there waiting for me. I'll be there in just a second. Mark chapter 10. 
And let's look at how Jesus describes the last part. Mark chapter 10, and let's look at verse 9. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. That's the overall caption of God hating divorce is the fact, I, God, put that together. Now, we're not talking about just two Christians coming together, okay? There's two people that love Jesus Christ. They're born again. They're, yeah, that's fine. And that's the way the model should be. If you are a Christian, you should marry only another Christian. I mean, that's, that's scriptural. That's, again, that's not Larry. I don't make this stuff up. I want to know what God says, and that's what I want to follow. A Christian has no business marrying anyone other than a Christian. Now, there are mixed marriages from the sense of two non-Christians were married. And then the Lord God saves the one, and now we have a mixed We're going to talk about that possibly next week. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, a mixed marriage. How does that, how does that work? But the point of the matter is, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about literally every marriage Every joining of a man and a woman, everyone that the two flesh are the two become one flesh, that is an act of God, Christian or on Christian. Marriage is a special act that God performs on Christians and non Christians. It is literally an act of God. And to splinter that, to divorce that, that's a really big deal. You're actually saying, I don't like what God did here. Right? That's a, that's a common grace, if you will, and a, and a child being born of that marriage. That's pretty special. That's a God thing. I know when, our first, when I experienced the birth of our first son, and you're holding in your hands life, that's pretty, and you guys, we're smiling at because it's pretty wild, isn't it? That's an act of God. Marriage is an act of God. I may be a little too emphatic right now, but those are the four reasons that God really hates divorce. Because divorce splits and distorts and destroys and disdains all of those four things. Now, he hasn't answered the question, right? Because these, these guys asked a really hard question that they thought they were going to literally just tear Jesus apart. And hopefully, hopefully, the journalists from the Perean Times were there and they could report this story to Herod and maybe by tomorrow, he would put him in jail and then cut his head off the next week. That would be like a super big win. But Jesus uses an opportunity to teach. Let's go back to Mark. And let's go to the next situation that arises. He unfolds for them the reasons that God hates divorce. And then in Mark, it says that, in the house again. So now, this is like the disciples have a time to ponder, right? What if you were the disciples and you heard that? Whoa. Whoa. Ah, uh, that is really different than what they're telling us. Like, 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 really? Why? Why? Why would you want to get married to one woman if that's it? Right? That's kind of what's going through their head. Watch, first, look at these two verses. We're, we're going we're gonna to say these and we're going to move on to another place. In the house, verse 10, his disciples asked him again of the same matter. Now, this is boiling around their mind. They're private now. It's, that outside was a, was a discourse between those and the, the Pharisees. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put her away her husband and, he, and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now let's go back to Matthew for a moment. And it's a little fuller context. It's the same event, same place. But it's just a little bit more robust in what took place. Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to pick up in verse 7 here. 
because it adds another flavor. Matthew chapter 19, verse 7. Then they say unto him, this is the Pharisees, after he told them, this is why God hates divorce. This is what it's about. This is how God designed it. And they say, well, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? If that's right, Jesus, then why did Moses command them to give a paper of divorcement and send her away? So why did he do that, smart guy? Hmm, now what's Jesus going to do? Well, let's see how he answers, and then we'll look at the passage that they were quoting. Uh, he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered or allowed you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Hmm. Now, what passage of Scripture could have they been thinking about, the Pharisees, saying that Moses commanded them? I mean, they keep using that word, commanded them. Now, what would you get from this? So far, don't, don't think about anything else right now. What do you think the inference is of what the Pharisees are suggesting to Jesus? When, he, when they said, why did Moses command? Where's your mind go? Ten Commandments? And probably the sense of what, did, what was it that Moses commanded? Did he command them to divorce the wife? That's almost where you go with that, isn't it? The way it's pronounced, it's like, why did Moses command us then to give a letter of divorcement? What does that mean? It means exactly what they wanted to mean. In other words, as long, he commanded us to divorce someone. Well, let's find out if that's true. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 24, because this is the passage of Scripture that they would be referring back to. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24. And let's let this run its course. Deuteronomy 24. We'll start in verse 1. There's four verses that are re relating to this. Deuteronomy 24. We'll start in verse 1. And again, I'm going to say that word command. You look for the command here. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because she hath found, be, I'm sorry, because he hath found some uncleanness in her. Uncleanness. We'll talk about that in a moment. Then let him, let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it to, in her hand, and send her out of his house. Okay? Did, have you seen a commandment so far? No commandment, is there? This is stuff that happens, right? A man sees a, a girl, a woman, he marries her. Then the, the word is an indecency. You know, I don't know what, what you have in your versions that you're reading. An indecency or a shamefulness or a disrespectfulness. Okay? Now, some have said that uncleanness or all of that has to do with, with adultery. No, no. Here, here's what I want to make sure that you understand right now. Stop right now. Okay. What happens if there was adultery in a marriage? According to the law. Okay, let's answer it then. Let's hold your place right here. And let's go back to Leviticus. Stay right here in Deuteronomy because we're going to find this command. But let's go back and see what happens if adultery takes place in a marriage. According to God's law. Leviticus chapter 20. And if, thinking, of Jeff, as you said, the Ten Commandments. What, what's the seventh one? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay? Now let's go to Leviticus. You're there. Chapter 20, verse 10. Okay? And we're diving in. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, and the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 24, make no question about this. When we talk about an indecency or a shamefulness or a, 
uh, disrespectful. It has nothing to do with adultery because that's already been declared. If adultery is there, that person literally by the course of the law would be killed. Now that's serious. Now, the really good part, I'm going to now let's just work with that for a moment, okay? So let's go back and find this command that the Pharisees are saying that Moses said. He said, they command, why did he command us then to give a bill of divorcement and send her away? Why did he do that? Okay, we've read verse 1. Let's go back to verse 2. We've got three left. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 2 now. When she is departed out of his house, verse 2, are you all there? Deuteronomy 24. She may go and be another man's wife, and if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it to in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife. Stop. You see any commands so far? Nope. This is just things that happen. We have a man takes a wife because of, by the way, there is, this is not an out. This is not an exception clause. But he's found some indecency, some lack of whatever it is, and he divorces her. Okay, that happens. He sends her away. She gets married to another man. He divorces her. Now, this is the command. Watch verse 4. Here it is. This is all it, that's really there. Verse 4. Her former husband, the first one, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she is defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. What was Moses' command? That the first husband could not marry his wife if she had been married to another. That's the commandment. Not the commandment to divorce her. See how they got that all messed up? Doesn't that make a big difference? You bet it does. Here's the deal. Adultery is not really a course of even understanding for divorce because the divorce doesn't even take place because the person that commits adultery is dead. <laughs> right? Now, in God's mercy, particularly in the New Testament, when adultery took place, because of God's mercy... He did not kill them instantly. But this was given to show God's attitude towards adultery. It's serious stuff. He hates it. Why? What's the four reasons that we really, God hates divorce? Number one was? One man, one woman. One man and one woman. A female and male. Number two? They were glued together. Number three? Indivisible. Excuse me? The, the two became one. One, one flesh out of two people. That, that, that child. I see children in the background. You know what? That child comes from two becoming one. That one cannot be divis divided. And that, it's really cool when you think about it, though. And then number four was, it's a work of God. It's an act of God. It's an act of God. And adultery destroys or tries to take that and to divide things that God put together. Period. Whoa. You see, this, this whole argument has been completely destroyed. Now, let's go, to, you're still, let's go back to Matthew 19, because there was something that Matthew mentioned that Mark didn't. Mark just moved right on. But Matthew chapter 19, it does, in fact, give that exception clause, if you will. There is one. Matthew chapter 19. Let's again read now in verse 8 of chapter 19. Let's, verse 7, get the question and we'll read it through. We've just discussed a lot of stuff. Verse 7, they say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? What did we just find out now from Deuteronomy chapter 24? You know, no, 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 no. The commandment was you cannot remarry your wife that has been married to another man that's been divorced. You cannot do that. Okay? 
That's the command. Verse 8. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, allowed you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. We already talked about that. Verse 9. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, for a sexual sin, for adultery, shall, and shall marry another committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Now, here's the disciples. Verse 10. We just read this back in, in Mark 10, but verse 10, his disciples said, if the case of the man be with his wife, it's not good to marry. We shouldn't be doing this. This sounds too tough. This is too hard. I wish some kids that are about 16 and 17 would think about that, <laughs> right? There's a lot of things that I thought when I was 16 or 17, I'd like, oh boy, I got that wrong, right? Take some time, relax, read the Bible some more, right? But they're saying, wait, if that's really true, Jesus, and this blows their minds. Again, Jesus has used this moment. The Pharisees come to trap him. They're trying to tempt him. They're trying to destroy him. And he says, what a great opportunity for teach my disciples the right way. Back to the beginning. Back to the beginning of the book. This is what God wants. This is why he hates divorce. And then they say, oh, my goodness. I mean, like, one time? The whole life? It's better not to get married. <laughs> and then Jesus says this. He said unto them, all men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. In other words, it's okay to be single, but that's a gift. It really is. We, we may, I think we're going to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 7 because there's another, there's another parenthesis, shall we say, around stuff about marriage and divorce and singleness. And it, it is, what he says right now is very true. To be single for life is a gift. That is not, not everyone is cut out to do that. Because if you're made to be married, you need to be married. I don't know how else to say it. But if God has gifted, like the Daniels, okay? Daniel was a single man. Paul actually will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I wish you were all like me. Now, he was probably married because we know if he was in the Sanhedrin, you had to be married to be part of the Sanhedrin, of which he as a Pharisee was involved in. But at the time in which he wrote 1 Corinthians, he was not married. Whether he'd been widowed, I, we, we don't know exactly. But he said, I wish you would be like me in the sense of I can be focused on the Lord's work. Isn't that true? You'll find some single missionaries that are across what God has specifically, I mean individualistically, gave them the gift of singleness to be so focused, so in tune with what his work is, that it is their gift to be that person, right? I'm not that person. And a lot of people aren't. God made people to be married. Right? <laughs> Man, this is good stuff. And the disciples, they're just, whoa, wow, right? So what's the problem? Why is there so many? Why is there 750,000 divorces in the United States? Why was there all of this talk in Israel? Why were the religious leaders kicking the... What happened in Nehemiah's day? See, see, see how old that is? I mean, it's going to go on forever. Where did this polygamy thing come on? Where, why did Solomon and all of the things... What more could have God given Solomon? I'm honestly, really, what more could have he given the man? You want to get it. I mean, you just read through. I mean, the guy was... Right? Power and wealth and prestige and wisdom and pizzazz and everything and you got it and yes he had a wife and yes he had two and then he lost it just lost it and you know what his wives did to him they turned his heart away from God boy isn't that important young people think about what you're getting into think about where you're going 
those, those, scriptures, those scriptures are where it talks about how we just read in Nehemiah that literally those people, 100 years after coming back, because they were idol worshipers, married into idol worshiping people. Ha ha, hello. <laughs> right? <laughs> focus. That's right. Terry's right. Focus. That's what God's saying, isn't he? He's saying, focus, please. Focus. Isn't it amazing? It seems so simple, though, doesn't it? And yet so hard. Because society is wanting to pull you away. Because that's the question we just asked. Why is this happening? We've already talked about the fact that when sin entered, it's no longer, Adam and Eve were no longer walking through the garden with God. Think of that's perfect, isn't it? A man and woman that are both Christians that are loving Jesus Christ, that are focused on, on Him as being first and foremost in their marriage, guess what? They get along fantastically because you know what? They're not selves anymore. They're one in Him. That's the difference, isn't it? So we know the self thing is the deal. But you know what literally God said would happen as part of the curse because they chose to sin, where they put, chose to put themselves, Adam and Eve, on the throne of self. No longer is God in the throne room. No longer can he walk with them in the afternoon in the Garden of Eden. They are in charge themselves now. And they wanted it that way. There are consequences. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. This is literally what's taking place, that conflict that comes from self being promoted within each one of our lives. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I think what we'll do is we will start in, in verse 8, to bring ourselves up to speed. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now we've already, they, they have just sinned. Basically the verses 1 through 7, it's, it's a depressing passage of scripture, but they've sold out God for something that they wanted themselves. And Adam and his wife, his wife, not Eve, his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Uh, have you tried hiding from God? <laughs> and it's going to work. <laughs> it's just not going to work. And the Lord God called on Adam and said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Hmm. Sounds like sin's involved here. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The man said, The woman that you gave to me says no longer his wife. Did you notice that? Did you notice that? Said Adam and his Eve. I'm sorry, Adam and his wife. All of a sudden, the woman you gave me, not the wife you gave me. Did you see that? Just that subtle, by the way, God, it's all your fault. It's all your fault. Because if you wouldn't have given me that woman, the woman is the problem here. <laughs> Boy, we've been using that one for a while, huh? She gave me of the tree, and well, and I had to eat then because she gave it to me because she fixes dinner. The Lord God said unto the woman, what is it that thou hast done? The woman said, the serpent. If you wouldn't have made that serpent, if you wouldn't have allowed him to be here and beguiled me, I did eat. The Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done, he's not asking anything of him. He already knows him way too well. Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Did you, something happens in verse 14. Something's happening right now. Did you watch it? There's consequences for what's taken place. The curse is being stated. He's starting with the serpent. The curse. Because you have done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee 
and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now that verse is actually looking forward to, they wouldn't have gotten it all, but literally you can go back and say, that verse right there tells us that Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, will come to bruise the head of Satan. And his ploys, all of the things that he has, mastery over us, sin and death, all, those will be broken. He will crush his head. Back all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. But now watch verse 16. <clears throat> Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow or in pain thou shalt bring forth children. Let's stop there for a moment. Childbirth for women is part of the curse. The pain that's, that's, and you know what, there's still something about that. I have no idea what that's like. But for motherhood and their love that's, remember how last week we were stretching, that stretching love? That cannot be broken in that mother child relationship. No matter how much pain it was in bearing that, there's, a, there's something there that's amazing. But it's not, that doesn't stop there. Let's keep going. There's another part of this. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now that passage has been somewhat misinterpreted. It would be almost like, oh, in other words, the, the wife is going to desire her husband, and he is going to shield her. He's going to be the authority over her. Doesn't that sound nice? Now, a marriage that's done right with the Holy Spirit guiding and directing both, that is how it works. But that is not, remember, we're, we're under the curse section, right? I want you to tell there's one other passage in Genesis that literally the same word is used for desire. We'll find it in Genesis chapter 4 for a moment. Just turn over to Genesis chapter 4 and we'll look at verse 7. This is the Lord speaking to Cain. Remember Cain and Abel were asked to sacrifice. I'm sure God laid it out very clearly. Cain is ticked off. Verse 6, let's start there. The Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wroth? Why are you angry? Why is thy countenance? Why are you pouting? Why are you in a self-pity thing? Watch verse 7. If thou doest well, in other words, do it my way. If you obey me, shalt thou not be accepted? Of course you will. The obvious answer. And if thou doest not well, watch, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his, sin's desire. What desire? And thou shalt rule over him. In other words, the same concept. Sin wants to master you. Sin wants to take control of you. But literally, you are responsible to be the master of sin. Now go back to that passage about Adam and Eve. He says to Eve, you will desire to control Adam, your husband, but he will master over you. Now, you talk about building in a conflict. You have just done it. That is women's lib versus male chauvinism. And it is rampant, isn't it? That's exactly what's happened. You know why? Because the curse of the sin. A home has two selves. And literally, do you not see that today? And the man is just as guilty as a woman. Don't read anything. Don't, don't take sides. Because that's why marriages are hard to, they're hard to get through sometimes is because nobody wants to be first in the sense of fixing. When that wife, when the wife, I meant that wife, when the wife literally is doing exactly this curse is, and that is to take control, to manipulate, to have her will, to have a rebellious attitude within the home, you know how the man responds typically? Well, I'll show you. 
and dominance. Ah, rah, 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 right? I mean, pound the table. Guess what happens? D-I-V-O-R-C-E. Exactly right. That's why. That's why. And all of those things that God put together are torn apart. Who, who loses? Everyone. God included. Everyone. Now, this is what's really weird, isn't it? The difference between society, I'm just going to say the world system, which Adam and Eve bought into, and the church, which Jesus Christ died for, are almost indistinguishable in divorce rates. Self is alive and well, isn't it? It's alive and well. And I have a feeling that those Pharisees that day, boy, he got us again. How did he do that? How did he do it? You know what? It's the same way we do it today. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? doesn't matter what they say down at the coffee shop. doesn't matter what they say at some highfalutin congressional issue meeting. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. What does the Bible say? We've got to go back to truth. Absolutely true, isn't it? Now, we've got, we've got a few moments left. I don't know why. I just feel, I think we just need to go. Any questions? I mean, I'm not trying to say anything that's not saying, and I don't want to say anything that's not saying. Right? I mean, that's what the Word of God is for. Right? Is, is, there, is, there, an ex, is there an exception for divorce? Yes. Oh, I was going to show you this. Jeremiah chapter 3. Let's go there for a moment. I mean, just to show you the seriousness of adultery. Now, adultery was punished by death. Oh, I, I got all kinds of things that are popping in my mind now. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Where did I tell you to go right now? That's where I want to go right now. Jeremiah chapter 3. Let's go there for a moment. Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. Now, the other thing, you talk about patience that God exhibited. Before, we're going to talk, we're going to, I'm right here in Jeremiah 3, but um, when, when Israel is, is basically off committing spiritual adultery, they're, they're, ser they're serving idols. They're, they're doing everything that spiritually would... It's just amazing to God. They're, 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 they're real God, right? I mean, they're, they're Father. How long did you put up with that? Well, man, I put up with her for like a week of this stuff. I could not believe it. No, 700 years. 700 years. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 3. Let's, uh, let's start in verse 6. We could actually go all the way back, but I'm going to go ahead and let you do that on your own. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, verse 6, chapter 3 of Jeremiah. Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel has done? Have you seen what she's doing? She has gone up on every high mountain under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. What does that mean? Well, that's where all of these false gods were, all of these idols, all these stones, all of these things that you literally fall down and worship and give your homage, your worship to, was in these high places. Okay, so that's what they're doing. They're worshiping other gods committing spiritual adultery. Verse 7, And I said after she had done all of these things, Turn thou unto me, come back to me. She returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of, read it, divorce. Did you see that? God literally gave a bill or a writ of divorce to the nation Israel. And that was a divided kingdom at that point. We have Judah, which was mentioned, and you have uh, Israel, which was the ten tribes and the two tribes. That's, that's, that's how it was divided. 
In fact, I don't know if it'll show us there. No, it won't. But it doesn't matter. It would have been the northern kingdom. For 700 years, God basically put up with that. Judah just watched from the outside. That's their problem. No problem for us, right? Doesn't matter to us. God's not going to work with us that way. Yeah, he does. He's the same. God's the same yesterday and forever. Guess what? And remember what we said? That adultery, by the law, was execution. God brought in the Assyrians to deal with, after he divorced, if you will, the Assyrians. I'm sorry, I just gave it away. Uh, after he divorced the Israel, the Israel portion of the northern kingdom, he brought in the Assyrians, and guess what? They smoked them. Do you know where those ten tribes are today, Israel? Never came back. Now, I'm not going to say there's not others that would have been into Judea, even during Daniel, all of that, but that is gone. Do you see how, how God views adultery? It's a really big deal. But you know what? Mark this. He hates idolatry more than divorce. That passage right there shows us that. Idolatry is, that was the one thing that Israel did, and that's how God, he, every single time, that's it, I can't, I'm not going to deal with that. If you are worshiping the wrong God, now, like, what did Adam and Eve do? He started serving themselves. Where's our, where's our points of trouble is when we want to do it our way. When we take anything and give worship to it rather than to God, that's idolatry. That could be anything. It could be fame. It could be power. It could be real estate. It could be cows. It could be what do you name it. Anything that takes the place of God. God hates that more than anything. Israel paid more price for that than anything else ever anywhere. Wow. Now, just to show you again that divorce was allowed, from a righteous man's standpoint, where could we go? Give me an example. This is someone that was going to divorce his wife because of unfaithfulness. And he was described as a righteous man. Hosea. Oh, you're, oh, Paul, we could get on a whole other session. We, we can't get started on that one. But the little book of Hosea. Now, that's interesting, too. You have this prophet that's told to go and marry. Hosea's told to marry a woman called Gomer. I'm going to go, guys, don't marry women that are named Gomer. <laughs> that's the first clue. That's the first clue. I'm going to go with something different. I'm, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Right? <laughs> I'm sure they are, but I'm going to change your name, girl. That's all I got to say, right? But anyway, you go, you go on in, the, in that, and that, that, is, that is something, isn't it? Hosea goes to the nth degree. He buys her back out of the prostitution slave market. After she has borne him children, she takes off, and he brings her back. If you, you can just see that, and you know what? That was a picture of God with the Israelites. He always wanted to bring them back. Do you saw it in, 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 in um, Jeremiah? Now, that's the one thing I want to say. Maybe it's right now. It just, it just seems just incredibly powerful right now. Just because there is adultery in a marriage does not mean you have to divorce. <coughs> when there's genuine repentance, where there's a stop to that lifestyle, and there's a seeking after God, there is no reason to divorce. That's a picture. Hosea is a picture of literally God's grace and power and mercy overriding a situation that is doomed. And yet, if there's repentance, 
repentance and receiving and a stopping of it. It doesn't have to be that way. I want to be very clear to say that. Just because it's there doesn't mean that it has to be taken. That's very important. Again, it speaks of God's grace and mercy. So you guys didn't answer my question. Which question? Give me an example of a righteous man. He's described as a righteous man that was going to divorce his wife. And Paul took us to Hosea, which actually took us a whole other level, which is, which is really good. Hosea had more than reasons enough, too, wouldn't he? He really, he could have, I mean, right out of the box. And, it was, and the reason I'm saying this is because this man was described as being righteous. So divorce was actually allowable. It's gonna, it's, you're going to just say, how did we miss that one? Anybody want to guess? Nice. Somebody said it. Joseph. That's exactly right. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. And let's get, in, let's get in Joseph's shoes for a moment. Okay? He's got his little Mary, right? She's not named Gomer. He's, he's got Mary, right? And they're going to live happily ever after. No cell phones to mess up lives, right? It's all good. And she takes off to go visit one of her relatives. And she comes home after a few months. Mary, you're so, you're so pregnant. <laughs> Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't hold it back. Mary says, oh, Joseph, you will not believe it. An angel visited me and said, I'm going to be having a child from God. <laughs> oh, Mary, 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 Mary. <laughs> can you, can, how would you like to be Joseph right now, right? And he's such a cool guy. I mean, I, we don't know a lot about him, but the fact that he didn't just blow up and, you know, take her down to the local, go stoner, right? No, he doesn't do that. In fact, let's, let's watch this. Matthew chapter 1. Talk about God working that out, huh? I've got to find it, I think. Verse 19, somewhere around there. But let's go to Matthew chapter 1, and we'll figure out where to start. <clears throat> yeah, verse 18. Let's just start right there. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, on this manner, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. And you say, well, no, they were just thinking, no, 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 no. I want you to get this very clear. That word espousal is just like being married. He was betrothed. He was married to her, married to Mary. Okay? Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, see, calls, her, calls him her husband, being a just man, a righteous man, and not willing to make her a public example. He had the right. He could have drug her in front of the, the city leaders and said, this woman has committed fornication. This woman has committed adultery. But it said he was minded to put her away privately. Boy, what were, can you get into that kind of a thought process? But while he thought on these things, boy, I'll bet he was thinking on these things. These are the middle of the night kind of things he's thinking about. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. 
for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph is seen as being in a rightful position to divorce that woman, but God oversaw, of course, sending the angels saying, oh, no, 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 this is exactly as she said. This is literally a son that will be born. You need to name Jesus that is of the Holy Spirit. I think our time, our time is up. Let's, let's do this. We're going to come back next week and we're going to review this and then we're going to roll into, because there's, there's a couple other things I think we need to say about about divorce. One of those is in a mixed marriage, a Christian and non-Christian. Maybe a Christ, maybe these, these, they were both non-Christian when they got married. The Holy Spirit, through the power of the Word of God, through a preaching, through a teaching, by faith, that one becomes a Christian. And now what do we do? What does that person do? What does that person do? That's a great question, isn't it? It's a great question. What happens? That's, that's another thing that Paul speaks of specifically in how do we work that situation out. I think we need to talk about that because if we're here, we just as well finish it up. Any other questions? Anything else we need to consider? Was this, hopefully this was helpful today. I don't want it to be out of bounds in any direction. I, I want it to just be, what did God say? Hopefully we accomplished that. Questions, comments? I will say our society needs a lot of help, right? And it's a self problem, isn't it? It's a sin problem, sin and self. That's what it's about. We're all, by the way, we're all, even, even you that have had a great, happy marriage, there are those moments, those times, right, where it's a stretch, it's a strain, it's a push, it's a pull, it's a, I can't believe he said that, I can't believe she did that, right? It's all about that. I think this will be good because what we want to do then is we'll cap that off with what is a really good marriage, how does it work? We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. There's one verse in particular that I think Paul totally enriched us with that shows the opposite of how God works in us to manage a marriage that literally is God fulfilling, God worshiping, and our blessing. I think that's what we'll do. That's Okay. All right. I'll tell you what, wouldn't that be a neat one? Here you have this seminar going on, and you're teaching people and all the hymns of Pharisee. Uh, is it, it, what do you say about divorce, Jesus? I can't hear you. No, he did. He just said, no problem. Let's talk about it. Let's go right back to the beginning. Isn't that, sometimes we got, we got things that we're worried about how we respond. We don't have to worry about us. What does the Bible say? Put, the, put it where it needs to be. That's a good thing for us, isn't it? People want to know what's right. Now, they can do with it what they want, but you know what? Until they know the truth, how, how could they respond? How could they respond? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that Jesus, literally, we, we can just, again, look over, over his shoulder, watching him teach people, watching him guide and direct his disciples. Father, there's many things that we certainly do not understand, but we know the one that understands it all. Father, you've given us enough today for us to contemplate, to obey, to trust, even as Joseph, all of those things that would have been going through his mind. He still believed you. His faith was in a God that was above and beyond everything. This righteous man, Joseph, there would have had to have been moments where he was questioning, when he was thinking and wondering, and yet he responded each day just as he needed to, trusting you. 
Abram, as you took him, Father, from a foreign land, traveled many, many miles, you promised him descendants as the stars of the sky. For 25 years, he received none. And yet he believed you. Father, may that faith grow within us. That same faith, trusting a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. May that stretch us. May it exercise us. Father, I pray for our nation. I pray for our families. Particularly today, thank you for this day that we can celebrate our mothers. The mothers. Mothers, Father, what a blessing they are to each and every one of us. Father, our families are in trouble. Divorce is at an alarming rate. Even marriage itself is not being sought after anymore. We've lost the sanctity of marriage itself. It's easier to do it other ways. But Father, may we return to you. May we return to the back of the book. May we go to the truth. Father, there is all kinds of hurts, all kinds of challenges, all kinds of struggles today to children across this land whose fathers may be in prison. They may not even know who they are. Their mothers are struggling. Father, reach out to them. May we, as the church, put our arms out, seeking, working, helping, protecting everything that you love. Just last week in our, the pa passage of Scripture we were looking at, for you, or for Jesus Christ, to have on his lap a little child. A little child. Your love, Father, is beyond measure. Take us, use us, bless us, Father, as we worship you. In Christ's name.